Tonight, I invite you to turn in God's Word to James chapter 2. James chapter 2, page 1012. 1012 in Bibles there in front of you. And we'll also be looking at Lord's Day 32 of the Catechism. Page 887. Back of the hymnals, page 887. We've come through the middle section of the catechism which sets before us the person and work of Christ as the ground of our salvation. There's no salvation apart from him. Nothing can be added to his perfect sacrifice. We can do nothing to save ourselves. We believe what God says when he declares that Christ's sacrifice alone delivers us from sin and that there is nothing that can be added to it. Therefore, the next question in the catechism is not surprising. That next question, question 86, the catechism says this, since we have been delivered from our misery by grace through Christ without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works? I'm going to be looking at that tonight. The Protestants were being challenged with this charge that the teaching of salvation by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone meant that there was no incentive for anyone to do good. The charge is not new. It was leveled against Paul. Paul was declaring in, in Romans, throughout Romans, that the law was not that which saved, but that which revealed sin, which revealed transgression. There were those who were saying, well, if that's the case, Paul, as you say, then, uh, then there is no incentive to do good. In fact, if the law reveals uh, sin, if sin reveals uh, the need of grace and God is glorified more in, in deliverance of greater sin, then why not sin all the more? Now, of course, that was a distortion of what Paul was saying. He was not saying that we should sin all the more, that grace might abound. In fact, he says, by no means. He taught that where the Spirit of God was, there was freedom from sin, freedom from the power of sin, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Where the Spirit of Christ was, there was desire and delight to do good. The Bible teaches that the one who is united to Christ by faith hates sin more and more and delights and desires to become more and more like him. God's Spirit redeems and renews. The Spirit is made alive to see sin, or the sinner, rather, is made alive to see sin by the Spirit and to hate it, made alive to do good, to desire it. He wants to work out the salvation that God has worked in him. James writes about that close connection between faith and fruit, there in James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, as we consider God's word to us this evening. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe this and shudder. 
Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works, and the Spirit was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness, and he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. So far the reading of God's own holy word. Dear congregation, that is our first point tonight as we come to this third section of the catechism, faith without works is no faith. It's dead faith. It's dead. We recognize that we are to be those whose faith makes a difference. We are connected to Christ, then our lives will look different. Many think of Christianity as or Christians as those who think they're saved because they're religious, they're better, they're more moral. They think Christians see themselves as better. And the Bible teaches that we are those who must live in light of God's Word from the confession that unites us to Christ by the work of the Spirit, by true, true faith is more than confession. It is alive. It makes us alive to do what God commands. When non-believers see Christians who show favoritism, who hold grudges against other Christians, who appear to live a life that is no different, uh, who sin in the same way but act as though their lives are better, they see themselves there and they say, well, there's no point in in being a Christian. They're, they're They're no different than us. They're not living any differently than we are. We are those who confess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins and those then who live in the power of the Spirit whom He has won for us that we might be doing good. The Bible says that the children of God are different. They talk differently. They act differently. They think differently. Connection to Christ changes the lives of believers. Jesus used that metaphor of the branch and the vine. He said, he who abides in me will bear much fruit. That which is good. That which is productive. That which is glorifying to God. He says that the true believer is like a healthy tree, and the healthy tree bears good fruit. Good being defined by God. He even says you can tell a person by the fruit that they bear. Now, we need to be careful with that. There are certainly things that we can't see about a person's heart, and we might catch a a person at a moment in time when uh, when they have succumbed to temptation and we think, oh, well, if that's characteristic of their life, then we know where they're going to go, or we know what their res- the response to them is going to be. Well, it, it, that's not a fair, fair designation or a fair judgment. But if we are in Christ, we are those who, over a span of time, are those who are characterized by 
fruitfulness. Good fruit is seen in those who are planted in the fertile soil of God's Word. Blessed is the one who meditates on God's law day and night. He bears fruit in season. His leaves do not wither. When James identifies Abraham as a man of faith, he speaks of one, or speaks of him as one who is identified by, uh, that is, who's demonstrated his faith by obedience to God. Verse 21, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? He's not saying that Abraham's work made him righteous before God, but rather he is goes on to say his faith was active along with his works. His faith was demonstrated, was on display in the way that he lived. James uses that word justified here in in that way. His faith was shown by his obedience. Faith was active along with his works. His faith was completed or or seen or, or, or shown to be fruitful by his works. In short, what we believe makes a difference in how we act towards God and towards others. Question answer 86 then. Since we have been delivered from our misery by grace, through Christ, without any merit of our own, why then should we do good works? The answer, because Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, is also renewing us by His Spirit into His image, so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for His benefits, that He may be praised through us, and further, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits, And by our godly living, our neighbors may be won over to Christ. The title of the sermon this evening must not be misunderstood. Christ redeemed us for good. Truly, Christ redeemed us for God. He redeemed us for God, that God might be glorified through that redemption. But he also redeemed us for good, that we might bear much fruit, and that we might be kept that is, kept for good forever. Our confession summarized the Bible's teaching in this way elsewhere. It is impossible for those grafted into Christ by true faith not to produce fruits of gratitude. It's impossible. That's what the Scripture teaches. Fruit that the Bible talks about is the good that is produced by the Spirit towards God and our fellow man. The third section of the Catechism deals with the summary of that good in dealing with the Ten Commandments, which, Lord willing, we'll be taking up in the weeks ahead. Writers of the Catechism don't focus only on the believer's relationship toward God, but also our responsibility to our neighbor. So then, faith, that faith is to be showing itself in fruitfulness. Faith without works is no faith, is dead. Secondly, then, we look this evening at the five reasons for doing good that are found there in Lord's Day 32. First, we see we do good because Christ, having redeemed us by His blood, is also renewing us by His Spirit into His image. He's renewing us by His Spirit to be like Him. We've been redeemed by Christ's death from the curse of sin and from sin's blindness and from inability. Christ further is renewing us by His Spirit into His image. By the Spirit of the Lord, we recognize the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. We delight in Him and we desire to live 
in His strength, by His Spirit, for the glory of the Father. Or being transformed into His likeness with ever-increasing glory, as Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. The same Spirit who caused us to be born again and enabled us to believe will also work in us to make us holy. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 6, verses 9 through 11. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. God does not want us to be, uh, want his children to be worldly. And it is in love with the world in an idolatrous way. 1 John chapter 2 says it this way. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. There's the connection of faith and work, faith and obedience. The one who does the will of God abides forever. He is the one with true faith. Jesus says, he who keeps my commands, he it is who loves me. That is what love looks like. It looks like obedience. Paul again in Romans chapter 6 says this, do not present to members of your bodies your body to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Your members to God as instruments for righteousness. So very important for us to hear that today when so much has been said about our bodies and how we can use them and how we can, can live in them. That it matters what we do in our bodies. We are to be those who do not offer them to unrighteousness, but to righteousness. To service to God. I was thinking about bumper sticker I've seen from time to time that uh, I'm always a little, a little hesitant to do theology on bumper stickers, um, but often we, we see that uh, bumper stickers out there that are trying to summarize Scripture's teaching, and it says this, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. Yeah. Okay. insofar as that goes, I think that's good. We are forgiven. We're not perfect. But what does that communicate to those who read the bumper sticker? Oh, so Christians can just, you know, do whatever and they'll be forgiven. They're, after all, they're not claiming perfection. I think we need to be very careful with that because Scripture teaches that we are those striving for increased obedience to God's commands. Forgiveness doesn't just give us a pass to live however we want. Our hope is that we are forgiven because we know that we will fail and that we do fall. But we are those who pursue goodness, who pursue holiness because we're connected to Christ who gives us new life. The, the, uh, again, John in, in 1 John chapter 2, 28 says this, Now little children abide in him, abide in Christ, so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him at, in shame at his coming. Faith, abiding in him by faith, abiding in him in, in, in the way that we live. That we're now connected to him and living more and more like him. Being renewed by his spirit. 
going on. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. 1 John 2, 29. And then going on to chapter 3, see what kind of love the Father has given to us? That we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. There is a call to holiness. There is a call to be following after Christ in the strength of the Holy Spirit. That first reason, then, for doing good. He's renewing us by his Spirit to be like him. Secondly, we do good out of gratitude. Paul sets before us the truth about ourselves uh, in his letter to the Romans. Let me just remind us of the answer, answer 86. Because Christ has redeemed us by his blood, is also renewing us by his Spirit into his image, so that with our whole lives we may show that we're thankful to God. Paul's speaks to the Christians in Rome with those words, and he summarizes who we are, what God has done. And then in chapter 12, he says this, Therefore I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are tested. What is it that we choose? What is it that we desire? Do we desire God's word? Do we desire to follow his commands? We are thankful for all that God has done leading up to this 12th chapter of the book of Romans, all that God has done, then we are to be offering ourselves as living sacrifices. Think of, the, of the, the account of the lepers who were healed as they walked back to show themselves to the priest. One returns to the Lord Jesus and offers up praise and thanksgiving, and Jesus says, where are the other nine? And There's no, no response given, but the, the answer is, it, it demands, uh, or the question ans, uh, demands an answer. Where, where are they? Where is the thankfulness that is shown for the deliverance that has been given? Or do they simply say, well, yeah, we got that. Now we got what we came for, and now we're on our way. This one praised God for his deliverance as he gave thanks to Jesus for this wonderful deliverance. Luke chapter 17. So we do good out of gratitude. Then catechism goes on, gives a third reason. We do good so that with our whole lives we may show that we are thankful to God for his benefits and that he may be praised through us. So we do good that God might be praised through us. Paul declared to the Corinthians that they were not their own. They were bought with a price and therefore they were to honor God with their bodies. So interesting as I was studying these texts this week that it doesn't just relate to the inner life that we have. It, 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 it's very much how, what we do with our bodies outwardly that the world might see. God says, I'm not only interested in some some inner, uh, well, I I believe this, but this is how I live. No, if we believe this, then we live in keeping with that. 
Listen to what Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Young people, that's what we're called to, to purity, to chastity, to careful speech, encouraging speech. What we do in the body matters. It's a testimony to what God is doing in and through us. God is praised through us as we live in light of that word. What does Jesus say about how the Father is glorified? Listen to what he says in John 15, verse 8. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. John 15, verse 8. Fruit demonstrates faith. Faithfulness to God's word shows that God matters, that he has weight, that he has glory, that he has significance in our lives. We're to let our light so shine before others that they may see God and glorify him. Jesus referred to himself as the light of the world. And in this present time, in these last days, the church, his bride, is to be that light pointing people to God that God might be glorified through his people. All fourth, we do good so that we can be assured of our right standing, that we may be assured of our right standing before God. It says, and further, so that we may be assured of our faith by its fruits. We do good. Faith alone justifies, but faith that justifies is never alone. That's what James is saying in James chapter 2 in our passage tonight. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Doesn't demonstrate that faith. Do you need illustration, he says? Do you want to be shown that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? Did he not, in that act, in that uh, readiness to obey God, show that he trusted God and that he wanted God to be glorified? You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. Rahab, given as illustration, was not also Rahab, the prostitute, justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. She said to the spies, we know your God is powerful and that your God will deliver you. She believed and her act of faith, her actions of faith, showed that she was on the Lord's side. That the Lord had delivered her from her sin. It is by good fruit that we show that we are good trees. To go back to that metaphor, Matthew 7, verse 17. Now, the relationship of faith and good works is one that may be distinguished but never separated. Those two are to go together, faith and works. picture of Zacchaeus illustrates what a true faith looks like. When Zacchaeus welcomed Jesus into his home, he said to the Lord, All that I have taken I will restore fourfold. All that I have done to wrong those around me. All that, that bad that I, have, that I have shown to those around me. Behold, Lord, he says, the word Lord. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded, I restore fourfold. He stood and confessed that Christ was Lord of his life and his faith bore fruit. And what does Jesus say? Today, salvation 
has come to this house. Today, this faith has been shown to be real. Where do you see your faith bearing fruit? Is it repenting of sinful words? Is it showing kindness to your neighbors? Is it exercising forgiveness, even as we sang tonight, forgiving those who do us ill? Is it reconciling with estranged family members? Is it fighting against sinful anger? Is it in purity? Is it in patience during time of trial? How does it, what, is the, what does your faith look like When we desire to fight against sin, we're assured that our faith is real as it bears fruit, as the Spirit of God is at work in us. And then fifth, we do good so that by our godly living, our neighbors might be won over to Christ. And you remember that question to Jesus, who is my neighbor? And the story of the Good Samaritan, basically, anyone who needs my help, anyone who can be benefited from my service, anyone who is in need, who can be shown a kindness that would point them to Christ through my action. That's who my neighbor is. It's hard to reach out to those around us today, but the Bible says that we are to be Salt and light, those who preserve the truth, those who shine the truth into our society. Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 and 15. Hardship and difficulty do not excuse us from showing kindness, from showing love to those around us. When we see what love God has shown to us and daily shows to us, then we have what we need to express love to others. What others need to see is that we care. We may not win them over by our discussion, but we pray that they will remember how we treated them with respect. You may think that your witness is weak, but if you treat others as Jesus treated them, or those around him rather, then you've done what God calls you to do, and he can use such a good and faithful witness that they might be won over by that goodness. There are many things that make showing kindness hard today, but we nevertheless show, are called to show kindness and goodness to image bearers of God. Many examples of those who are attempting to live out their faith in ways faithful to God. We often are hesitant to do this because there's lo- those lives have not been written yet. Those, those witness, that record has not been written. Those who do it, uh, offer a goodness today may uh, turn away from the faith. So we often go back and look at biblical example of, of those whose lives have been written, whose witnesses is there in, in God's scripture. And certainly there are many examples today. I just want to mention one. There interesting story this week. There was an event at a major league baseball game where they were celebrating a, a lifestyle that is uh, against God's word, and six of the, the team members refused to wear the the symbols that were celebrating pride for this, uh, for this LGBTQ lifestyle. They said they wouldn't do it. And later when they were asked what was, what was their motivation, there was no hostility. The spokesman for the group said this, by not wearing the symbols which celebrate this sin, we are not saying we hate those who live in disobedience to God. We're not saying that they're not welcome to come to a game. We're simply saying that we cannot celebrate what we believe to be sin against our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. 
And they went on to say, even as it is sinful for one to have sex outside of marriage, male and female, we also believe that to have a bearing upon our lives. And they went on to give testimony. This individual did. And you can well imagine they were smeared with all the descriptors that we hear over and over again on media outlets today. But that they spoke with kindness and with respect needs to be honored, needs to be duplicated. It reminded me of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego when they're called to bow down to the idol. And that's really what this is, dear people of God. These, these movements, these ideas, it's, it's idolatry. It's an idol. You either bow down or you are cast aside. And even the danger of being thrown into the fiery furnace. And what do they say? What do they say to Nebuchadnezzar or to Belshazzar? They say, we won't do it. We're not going to do it. And they do so with respect. But very firmly they say, no, we, we will not. And if God does not deliver, so be it. But our allegiance is to the one who is our life, and the one who is our protector, the one who is our shield, as the psalmist said tonight in Psalm 18. Their attitude is recorded in Scripture for us as example. The confrontations that we face today are increasing because those who reject God think that they have momentum to push God out of society, particularly out of American society. And as Christians, we must not overreact. I've been known to do that in words from time to time. We must not overreact. We must show respect and we must understand it is only by God's grace that we ourselves see rightly and live in keeping with God's commands. And we are to show them what it looks like to live for the Lord. And this may be costly. It may lead to loss of job, may lead to loss of starting rotation in the pitching rotation of a major league baseball team which today seems completely ludicrous. How could you possibly do that? You've lived and worked your whole life to get that. And yet this individual says, no, it's, it's, it's more important to speak the truth, but to do so respectfully, to do good, even on such a public and large platform. Peter says this, we're to be those who remember who we are, that we're those called out of darkness to serve the living God, to declare that he has delivered us from darkness into his marvelous light. Keep your conduct honorable among the wicked so that even though they speak of you as doing evil, even though they speak of you as being haters and those who are violent and those who are disrespectful, that they will see the good de- your good deeds and glorify God on the day of his visitation. Adorn adorn the doctrine of God by faithful and good witness. It may be costly, but it is our call. Well, that doesn't give us a lot of time to look at that final question and answer, but we do want to look at it tonight, question and answer 87, because it is closely connected. Can those be saved who do not turn to God from their ungrateful and unrepentant ways? Is is it possible that they can just live however they want, and in the end, well, it's all going to turn out fine? Scripture says otherwise, by no means. 
Scripture tells us that no unchaste person, no idolater, adulterer, thief, no covetous person, no drunkard, slanderer, robber, or the like will inherit the kingdom of God. Well, we could spend a lot of time in looking at each one of those uh, delineations of sin, but these are definitions that God gives that are standards by which we must be measured. We are measured. We don't get to redefine terms, which is what is so uh, uh, rampant in our culture today. Well, that's not really. We've never, mis- we've never understood that before. That's, that's just, a di- that's just a, a, clearly a misunderstanding. Let's redefine terms. No, no. Don't believe the lie that these teachings in Scripture are somehow misunderstood or unclear. Recognize instead that the sinful human heart rebels against that which brings light and wants to remain in darkness or to bring the darkness to, if possible, quench the light. The Bible is not indifferent to good living to living in keeping with God's word, in faithfulness, in in chastity, in, in worship, in faithfulness, in giving, in being content to use the reverse of all of these ends, in that which is is controlled, in that which is speaking good. Those who live habitual, unrepentant lives who redefine sin so as to cover their favorite sins, show themselves not to be God's people. Remember the context here. We're looking at the world, obviously, but even in the church, the writers of the catechism are saying, the point is well taken. If, if what, the, what is being seen in this day are Christians who proclaim Christ but live in a worldly way, then they are, have no promise that they will inherit the kingdom. They are showing themselves to be worldly and following after the ways of the flesh. And so the warning is given here to those who might think, well, it's all of grace. I can live however I want. No, that's not what Scripture teaches. Those who live like hell will not inherit heaven, to put it on a bumper sticker. (laughs) But you see, it's more than that, isn't it? We don't want to put that bumper sticker out there. But we understand it's quite simple. Those who live after the flesh will not inherit the kingdom of God. When the church fails to call people, or to speak about sin rather, it's operating in an irresponsible and cowardly way. When it fails to call people to holiness, to goodness as defined by God, it's not being faithful to its charge. Jesus did not hesitate to speak of goodness, of the importance of obedience. He knew the heart of man. He knew that there was no goodness in man. And yet he said, I have come to give life, newness of life, to live as those forgiven for the glory of the Father. Again, the healthy tree bears good fruit. He also made clear that trees that bore bad fruit were bad and would be cut down and thrown into the fire. Picture of judgment. Matthew chapter 7, verse 19. Paul says the same thing to those in Corinth who thought themselves as part of God's church, and yet they were living uh, in all sin. Those are what are articulated here in this answer of the catechism. But let me read them. Paul says this, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? 
He's saying not those who are not uh, connected to Christ by faith, but he's also saying those who, who are not living uh, in, in light of Christ's power, those who are not filled with the Holy Spirit. Do not be deceived, he says, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's very clear. So we must remember that as those who are united to Christ by faith, we are those who, whose, the end of whose lives are fruitful. That is that final point, the end of the fruitless life, the end of the life that does not bear fruit in keeping with God's righteousness is judgment, being thrown into the fire. The writers of the Heidelberg Catechism wanted to be clear about what the Bible taught and what the Protestants were believing. The Bible teaches that faith is seen by transformed life. The one who refuses to turn from sin to God cannot be saved. The one who refuses God refuses the good. Therefore, with all humility, with all courage, with all love, we must press on in obedience to God's word. For Christ has redeemed us for good. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, so much of our lives... So much of our existence is not seen by those around us. You know our hearts. You know the reality of the faith within. But there is to be witness that is seen by those around us. That of good fruit, of bearing good fruit, that you might be honored and glorified as others see your spirit at work in us. Forgive us for our many sins. Forgive us for our sinful responses to those who would stand against us and seek to revile us. Lord, help us to be kind, to be clear, to be courageous in witness. Hear us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen.